Welcome to the Level Up Lifestyle Podcast from Globe Life Liberty National, where your story meets your success for the lifestyle you've always wanted. We're so glad you're here. We've invited our top performers to share their story and journey to success. So let's check out today's conversation. Mike sits down with agency owner, Natalie Whittingham. Natalie shares everything from getting kicked out of her parents' house. I was kicked out of my house. So I ended up getting an apartment right when I turned 18. To writing a scathing resignation letter. So I wrote a letter to my agency owner and at the end of it, I put, do not call me. Which eventually gave her the mindset shift to turn it all around. In the nine months, I made $150,000 and like that was life-changing. All of this coming up next on the Level Up Lifestyle. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Level Up Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sheets, and with me today, I have a very special guest, Natalie Whittingham. Hi. Hi, Natalie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. I appreciate you being here and and sharing your story, right? That's kind of what we're about here on the the Level Up Podcast is just, you know, we, we see where you are now. You're a successful agency owner. Uh, in Indianapolis, the the state of Indiana, right? Um, a, a few other offices scattered throughout the mm-hmm. the state, and uh, you're just doing such a great job building a business, and um, you know you got a great team uh, that that you're leading. But it wasn't always that way, right? You know, there's a journey that you went through to get to that point, and that's kind of what this podcast is all about: is just taking us through your story, you know, telling us the the highs and the lows and those dark moments and what were you thinking and what did you do, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and how does that get you to where you are today? So really excited to to dive into this. So um, let's let's just start, let's just start at the beginning, right? Tell me, uh, tell me about your upbringing and uh, where you grew up. Yeah, so I'm from actually from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, definitely never thought I would leave there. So that's the, kind of the first part of my story is, yeah. you know, all my family lives kind of in one small town in Pittsburgh. Like there's a park in the middle and then my mom's on one side, then my aunt and my grandparents. Like okay. it's very much small town. We're never leaving. So holidays, it's like just walk across the park that's or it. meet yeah. over there. Yeah, there's no yep. driving. Grandparents are there in the morning with the coffee on the table. Yeah. That's how tight knit. Wow. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up pre- predominantly with my dad. Uh, my parents split up at a, when I was about 10 years old. I live with my dad predominantly, um, you know, and I did, I had a, a good childhood in, in that we were happy, yeah. you know, we were happy and early on, it was very instilled in us to, um, you know, have high integrity and we were into a lot of sports and things. So that consumed pretty much our entire childhood, but yeah. going to travel ball games, you know, club soccer, um, and just, you know, but that was really, we were very, very competitive growing up. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing with my childhood was we were, it, it was some instability, um, I lived in 20 houses by the time I was 25 years old. Wow. Um, So we moved around a lot, you know, even though it was concentrated to somewhat of a small town, we moved around a lot. And really the instability in my childhood was kind of the biggest thing that stood out for me. And that was one thing that I wanted was something stable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that so what did your dad do for work when you were growing up? What didn't he do? Just kind of odd jobs <laughs> and moving around a lot? or Yeah, I mean, he made sure we were provided for, but, you know, I, I would never said he had a career. Um, right. He more had jobs. Um, he's helping me out with some QM stuff right now. Okay. So, uh, you know, just kind of jobs here and there. You know, he made sure we were provided for and we were taken care of, but it, it was definitely a struggle. Um, you know, we lived in subsidized housing for a period of time and certainly, you know, didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth growing up by any means. What, what was that like growing up in subsidized housing? I mean, were you, know, you, were you aware? of like you're seeing kids living one way and you're living one way or was it just kind of that's the way it was? You know, as a kid, you don't you don't realize it until you do something that makes you realize it. And I remember this one piece of my life that was like so significant. And um, I played for a cup soccer team and, you know, okay. cup's expensive. And I knew my dad was like working so, so hard for me to play on this cup soccer team. And all of their parents were showing up and, you know, it, not even like nice cars now to me, but like nice cars then, you know, the yeah. big Ford Explorers and things like that. Right. And my dad had just bought, um, he had bought an SUV from a used car lot and it was $4,000. And I remember being like, I like this is awesome that he's doing this. Like we're gonna yeah. have nice cars like the other people. And it broke down like two days into us having this car oh, wow. at my cup soccer thing. And at that point, like I think that's when I realized we didn't have any money. Yeah. Um, but it kind of took into that point where I see all these people driving and see super nice cars with both parents and things. And then I think that was the first time I realized, all right, I have my situation's a little different than these people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So as you're as you're growing up, then you know, kind of moving around, is that 
Is that impacting you? I mean, at some point, I'm sure you're like, hey, we're not living in a place for more than six months. And, you know, how did how did it impact you then? And how did that stay with you now? I would say then, you know, it, it just seems so normal to me. Oh, okay. I didn't realize someone stayed, you know, whenever I got married, my husband laughed because, you know, he's lived in one house his whole life <laughs> and he, I'm always trying to move and do things. Yeah. Um, you know, so growing up, it was just so normal. And, you know, now looking back, it was just so much instability. But the one thing that I do, I am so thankful for is it caused me to be so flexible, you know, and I am probably the least materialistic person because of that because yeah. I didn't have nice things. You know, uh, my brother and I, my, he's we're 16 months apart and we shared a room till we were 16 years old. And like now wow. that seems crazy to me. But then it was just so normal. You yeah. know, that's what we had to do. And, you know, material things weren't didn't really matter. But, so it, it, you know, but we definitely struggled. Yeah. Yeah. And and so as you're going through your those early years and you're you know getting through high school, you know, what what are you thinking about? life for you? Where are you going to go? I mean, I'm assuming college is on the horizon. And and what does that period of time look like? So I think high school was my kind of first taste of what I wanted my life to look like. Um, I actually was extremely blessed and got a scholarship to go to a private high school. Okay. Um, that through sports? Yeah. A, okay. a combination of athletics and um, academics. Okay. And it I kind of got to see what the other side lived like. I got to see, you know, they drive the nice cars and they get cars and they turn 16 and going to my friend's houses and things like that. And I'm like, man. There, and there's probably students there that their parents are paying for them to go Oh, they're there, all right? paying. There yeah. are four scholarships a year. So there was four of us on the scholarship. Oh, wow. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, not everyone had the scholarship or anything. So I was able to see what the other side lived like. Yeah. And I think at that point, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but my one um, friend, her dad was a lawyer. So as crazy it may seem, I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. That's what I'm going to do. He has, they have money. They drive nice cars. I'm going to go to law school. And yeah. that was, from then on, that's what my mind was set on. Okay. Was it was it your decision to go to this school? Was it your dad like, hey, you're really good at sports? Obviously, you're doing well in school, trying to put you in a better position, maybe because of that instability. Or how did how did the decision to go to this private high school come about? So I think it was more because you know generally when people are growing up, they kind of they have the friends from their neighborhood consistently throughout their life, and they yeah. play the same sports together, and they grow up together. We didn't have that because we moved so much. So, you know, I never was in the same neighborhood with the same friends or anything. Um, so when it was time to go to high school, I actually lived in a district where you probably didn't want to go to that high school oh, if you could yeah. avoid it. Yeah. So we applied for the scholarship. And um, at the time, it was actually paid for four years for high school and paid four years for college. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, during high school, they took away the college part. Oh. Um, not for anything I did wrong. They lost funding. But uh you know, so that was kind of like, that was my golden ticket. That's where I was going to, that's what I was going to do. That's where I was going to go. I was going to go to Duquesne Law School. I had a plan. Yeah. So how, how much time are you spending on soccer then? Because, you know, this is a part of your scholarship, right? So mm -hmm. you were good at it. Are you, are you practicing a lot? Are you just kind of putting a lot of energy into this to, to get better and maybe distract yourself? Or what, what was your motivation in, in the sports? Yeah, I think, my motivation in sports was all, it, it was a distraction for me. You know, it was something that I cared so, so much about. And it did. I was able to tune out everything else going on in my life. Yeah. Um, and it was a 24 seven thing. I played cup soccer and also travel softball. So I, and oh, okay. my scholarship was for a student athlete. Okay. Um, so I, I put so, so much time into it. And I remember I worked three jobs during high school at a pizza shop, a daycare, and then a Toys R Us. Um, because my deal with my dad was that if he bought my uniforms, then I had to pay for the travel softball. And I remember it was $650. Wow. So, and that was, that's a lot to a high school student. How, how many kids on the travel softball team were paying their own way through that? Oh, no one. Just you? <laughs> yeah. No one. Yeah. No one. And I remember I wanted this specific bat and, you know, to be able to pay that I had to work a certain amount of hours, the pizza shop and everything. So, you know, it was, a, it was juggling a lot, but, you know, I think it, that instilled in me being a hard worker from early on is right. nothing came easy and I had to work for it everything I wanted. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is that that has to now live with you today, right? That whole experience of if you want something, you got to work for it, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it, having gone through that, it is my goal to provide a better life for my children, obviously, but I am so thankful for my upbringing. And my dad worked his butt off so that we could have what we did, but he also, I had to work for what I got, yeah. you know, I, I wanted to go to college and play softball. I wanted to go to college and play soccer and do those things, but I knew there was no way if I wasn't doing what the other kids did by being noticed by scouts and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. So, um, they took the college portion of the scholarship away. 
you're still thinking you want to go into law school because of what that can do for your lifestyle, right? And moving forward. So what's what's this transition look like now in, in your life? So I started applying for college and things like that. You know, at this point, I, I had been talking to a few schools in terms of athletics and things. And it ended up coming up that I would do, I was going to go to a state school to play softball. Okay. Um, and I state school is what I could afford. And of course, they're not going to give full scholarships to D2 schools or anything yeah. like that. I ended up getting hurt early on and not even playing, you know, much softball in college. Okay. Um, so I just went to small state school. I went to Cal U. And there um, I spent about two semesters there. Okay. Um, you know, and I was in pre-law doing, and I, I did like it. I think the biggest part I didn't like was the reading, which is all of law school. Right. So at that point I was starting. A lot starting, of words. A lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I knew was I wanted to start making money because, you okay. know, working three jobs in high school, I had already a taste of, you know, I was the one with the money in high school, which right. was crazy. Right. Um, so I had a taste of the money a little bit. So I sat down with my guidance counselor and I said, I want to graduate in three years. And okay. she said, all right, you're going to take uh, 21 credits a semester and you're going to have to take a couple summer wow. classes. And wow. I said, all right, let's do it. Um, so that's what I did. I stayed at Cal U for two semesters and then I ended up going to Penn State to finish my degree okay. and I graduated in three years. So um, it was two weeks after my 21st birthday is when I graduated college. And, and you're, are you working during this too? Yep. So I worked during that time and that's kind of what led me into my post-college job, um, I st- got an internship. There was actually someone that came to the college and I started just chatting with her and I really liked her personality. She had just that charismatic personality and um, she was actually the director of a drug and alcohol center um, for people coming off of parole and probation. Wow. Why I thought that'd be a great fit for what I wanted to do, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I started interning for her okay. and then she ended up hiring me on after a month. Um, so at 19 and 20 years old, I was working with inmates transitioning from state prison um, that were in this like halfway facility, but it, yeah. it was locked down. So it was ran by the Department of Corrections. Okay. Um, so, you know, obviously interesting experience. I bet. And that kind of started to transform what I thought of the justice system. But then this is also me. I'm like, all right, I'm still gun ho going to law school because, you know, I'm seeing all this, you know, changes I want to make and things like that. Mm-hmm. So if anything, that drove me more towards going into law. So just, I'm curious though, you're taking how many credits a semester now? You said 23? 21 a semester. 21 and a then semester. I took and so that's two summer classes. Five classes, six classes, something like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Six, yeah. Six classes. Seven actually. Seven classes. Yeah. So you're probably getting that 8 a.m. class, which I did not like in college. Yeah. Right? You know, and I mean, how many hours are you spending a day as a 19, 20 year old in college between school and work? Oh, I was nonstop. I was nonstop. So I worked out with her at the Department of Corrections facility that I got special approval to do 16 hour shifts. And I worked truly 16 hour shifts twice a week. I did it once a week and then I worked eight hours at the pizza shop. So that way I was able to truly work 40 hours throughout. So how many all nighters are you, are you pulling during Oh, I don't think I slept. Yeah. I don't think I slept. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And what, what's motivating you to do all this? I mean, cause that's, that's a lot. And and you, so do you have a scholarship right now? Or are you working to pay for the college? Or? I was working to pay for college too. Okay. So I didn't get it. I have a partial, you know, some academic scholarship, but I decided not to pay, play softball. So not as much as I should have had. But. but I mean, you could have taken a student loan and just kind of slowed down and enjoyed college. I'm sure you saw a lot of people doing that. And, you know, a yeah. lot of people at that age, that's what they do. So why are you working so much and not sleeping and working in a halfway house and then a pizza shop? And I mean, what what is motivating you through this time? Well, I think a lot of it was I started living on my own. Um, okay. So whenever I was 17, kind of right before I went to college, um, you know, just something happened in my dad's uh, with my stepmom and my dad where I was kicked out of my house. So I ended up getting an apartment by myself at seven, at eight, right when I turned 18. So right going into college. So yeah. I had kind of already been used to like paying rent, paying for utilities and that kind of thing. Like this is life. You just got This is go. life. I yeah. just kind of jumped into life full force. Um, so I just kept that up during college. You know, I didn't feel like I needed to get loans for room and board or things. I had already been living on my own in an apartment. Yeah. I didn't want to go backwards. Right. Um, so I just kept doing that. Wow. And so going through college then, is this where you kind of transition out of college? Did you Think about like, did you go to law school? Did you apply or where, where did mm-hmm. that, where did that go? Yeah. So 
I think my first like wake up call with the whole law school thing was I paid for an LSAT course and it was, I remember it was $1,200 and like I saved up forever for it. Yeah. And I'm going through this LSAT course and I take the LSATs and I did really well. And I, you know, got a partial scholarship. I got into Duquesne and that's where I thought I was, I was ready to go and everything. I'm sitting there going through finances. Again, I'm still living on my own at this point. Um, And it just, the numbers weren't adding up. I was like, I don't know where this money is going to come from. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be in severe loan debt the rest of my life if I end up doing this. Yeah. Um, you know, not to mention I was had just had to get a new car and everything else. There was so much going on. So I ended up just taking a job in kind of that same field that I was working in. Like the social services field. Yeah. So yeah. it was called a case manager job. So I took, it was a blended case manager. And again, I was helping people transition out of jail on the parole and probation that had mm-hmm. either a substance abuse disorder or a mental health diagnosis. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what was, what was that like? I mean, you're, oh. you're, you know, here you are coming, you know, like how old are you? 21? I was maybe? 21 at this point. 21, yeah. <laughs> fresh out of Penn State. Let me help you get out of prison and your, and your, um, drug addiction. I mean, that had to be I think quite probably the experience. looked at me like I was crazy when yeah. I was the one like walking into their houses being like, Hey, I'm here to help. Um, it was definitely an experience and one that I'm extremely grateful for. But the thing that I realized about mental health and social services really early on was it was kind of thankless. You know, I loved watching people grow, change, develop. Like when it was a success story, it was amazing. Loved it. Watching, you know, getting their kids back, all of those good things. But there were so many thankless situations in terms of, you know, you're bringing everything home with you. You know, all that mental strain, what they're going through. I mean, you're worried that night if that person's going to overdose or end their life. And like, that's Wow. Really hard, a 20-year-old, yeah. um, 21-year-old. Uh, are, are you feeling connected to them then? Like you like oh, absolutely. responsible and you're part of them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I felt very, very connected to them. And, you know, I, I think at that point too, I didn't know kind of what boundaries were. Sure. So I'm probably more friends with some of these people and I'm involved in their lives and everything. Um, so I was super connected with them. So I, it just... It, I got burned out so fast and I did it for about a year and a half. And that's when one of my supervisors is like, you know, you, you're good at this, but you're good at directing things and coordinating and things as well. Why don't you try to get into a supervising position? I'm like, great. If I don't go to people's houses every day, (laughs) then I'll do whatever you want me to do. Um, and granted this point, I'm also making $17 an hour. So like barely paying the bills. Um, so I decided to go back to my master's degree. So I enroll in school, um, going through kind of my, my master's program at this point, like still kind of broke. Um, so I started doing some drug and alcohol counseling on the side. So every night from 7 to 10 p.m., I did drug and alcohol counseling. This is through a different company or like different your, company, your own but startup one I, thing? Or? It was a different company, but one I got connected to through my current job. Okay. Um, so I was doing that on the side while doing my master's program and working full time. So I'm just continuing to burn myself out at this point. Yeah. I mean, at what point do you start to feel like, all right, I I don't know if this is going to be sustainable or, you know, like you can only stay up so many days in a row for so many years in a row before it starts to wear you down. So what what was that like? I think the part where I finally realized that was, you know, I just felt so undervalued. Um, I knew I was capable of more and I didn't know if it was going to be at that company or where it was going to be, but I felt so undervalued. And the easiest way I can explain it is my cup was empty. I was filling everybody else's all the time, you know, pouring so much into them with like the counseling side of things and, um, you know, helping them transition out. But my cup was so empty. I mean, I'm broke at this point. I was driving a Chrysler 200 and my muffler was literally dragging on the ground as I drove. Um, I was so mentally drained and I, I just, my eventual goal was to save up enough money that I could go to law school. And that just, it wasn't happening. I mean, I was barely. Like you're never going to catch up enough at the day to day, let alone start saving. For I was this. barely affording rent, let alone, yeah. you know, saving for anything for the future. So, and, and you're, uh, you feeling unappreciated. I mean, what were the clients that you're working with at this time? I mean, are they. You sometimes feel like maybe you were caring more about them changing than they were caring, or were they thankful oh. to what you were doing, or is it just a mix of everything, I guess? Absolutely. So I was assigned by their parole officer. So a lot of times they did not want me there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going- You're a hindrance to them getting back to the life they wanted to live. Oh, maybe. yeah. They yeah. didn't want me there. Um, so, I mean, I was kind of chasing these people sometimes, yeah. and I even remember- 
I remember a very significant event driving down this main street and seeing one of my clients that I had been, you know, had that I had lost and told their parole officer, you know, they haven't met with me in three weeks and me whipping my car to the side of the road as fast as I could to be like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Don't you care? Um, but you're right. Yeah, they, they, I cared so much more than they did. You know, they didn't, some wanted to change and that was amazing. And those were the, those were the clients I kept doing it for. Right. But the others that didn't, it was just hard, you know, and I don't think I was, experienced enough or had enough training to be able to handle that emotionally. And I feel like I was failing them. Hard to help somebody who doesn't want help. Impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you're kind of at this stage in your life where you want to help people. This is, you're kind of helping people, but you're getting burnt out by it. And then like what we just said, you know, there's people that don't want help too. And that's, I'm sure that's got to be adding to the burnout too. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I'm putting all this energy and they're not wanting to match it. And you got a muffler hanging off your car and you're not getting by. So like, at what point do you, was there like a, a certain moment or just kind of a culmination where you're like, all right, enough's enough. I'm going to go find something different. Did you want to go find something radically different or how do you evolve at this point? So there was a defining moment where I sat down with my, the director who had told me, hey, go back at your master's degree. Mm-hmm. And they were going to pay for a thousand dollars a year, which wow, yeah, for a master's degree. Yeah. So at the end, I'm, you know, I'm sitting down with her and she says, how much is the total master's degree going to cost? And it was $55,000 for the entire degree. And she said, okay, so here's the next level supervising position. And she slides a piece of paper over to me and it was $19 an hour. <laughs> From 55 grand. Well, 53 grand if they're going to pay a thousand, you know, you take <laughs> yeah. 2000 off the top there if you can get it done in two years. And I just felt like the biggest idiot, like their wool was just pulled over my eyes. Yeah. And I just, you know, went and did this thinking, these supervisors make, you know, great money and everything. And I think at that point I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I don't think it's going to be this. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, what kind of led me here was my friend who ha- also had been in human services. Okay. Um, she had been recruited. Um, and, to Globe. Yep, yep. To Globe. And um, she was telling me about it and she's like, you know, it's a brand new office. They just got started. They're literally moving the furniture in still. Right. Um, you know, I really think if we get on the ground floor of this, we could do it. And, you know, the first thought is, no. Yeah. It, you're selling insurance? Like, what are you talking about? And you, so she did it for a couple weeks. And she- I'm Like, I want to be a lawyer, right? You know, I'm yeah, trying to get yeah. law school. I'm not going to go sell life insurance. Right? And that was my thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I went to all this school. I'm not going to go sell life insurance. Yeah. Um, and then she worked for a couple weeks. And she sent me a screenshot of one of the big check pictures she uh-huh. took in the office. Yeah. And it was $3,100. Wow. And that day, I went in and told my boss, hey, this is the great part. Hey, I'm going to have to take off for a little bit, but I'm going to come back. So I need like three months if you can give me, if I can we can apply for some type of leave or something. Yeah. But I'm probably going to come back in about three months if we can work that out. You know, she liked me. And of course, mental health is understaffed. So right. she was all for it. Keep the door open. Keep the door yeah. open. Yeah. I told her I was coming back. Um, and I went to try it, you know, but I had all intentions of like being like, I'm going to prove this girl wrong that this is not it, you know? So you come to Globe with the intention of proving her wrong and then just going back. That was it. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to basically show her like, this is, I don't know what you're doing, but we just went to school for this amount of time. We're at our master's degree. Like, what do you mean? Um, so it was very much going to be a short period of time for yeah. me. Maybe the wrong mindset getting started even. The right? worst yeah. mindset, the worst. I can't even believe I made it out of that. Sure. So what now you're, you're working at Globe and you're, um, you're, you're starting your training, you're getting out into the field. What's those first few months? You said three months is what you had in your mind. So mm-hmm. tell me about those first three months. What was that like? So, and I know all new agents getting started, they have all kinds of craziness going on. It's just like the new agent trend. But I had a right. lot going on in those first three months. Um, my dad had been recently diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And that was one of the yeah. biggest things is I'm like, I was paying for the apartment that he was living in. And I had been living with my fiance at the time, mm-hmm. um, now husband. But And so I was paying for his apartment. So I knew I couldn't take like a huge decrease in income. So I was still working. You're not making a lot anyway, right? I was making a lot anyway. Um, So I was kind of like, what do I have to lose? But I was still working at the drug and alcohol facility at nights. So that was kind of my rent money for him that I kind of set aside that he would be okay regardless. Um, So those for those first three months, I was terrible. Like the worst agent, awful. And I just, I couldn't close. I... 
felt like I was just spinning my wheels. I would walk into one business one time and be like, I'm never going back there. Yeah. People are mean. I'm never going back. And I mean, so it's just like, like you're, you you you're terrible because skill, because you weren't trying because it's just new. And like, I mean, was it part you part, you know what I mean? Like, like you're not really putting everything into it or was it just really hard to learn or what? You know, I would honestly a hundred percent blame me yeah. <laughs> looking back then. I probably blamed everybody else. I sure. said, this market's not good. They're not training me, you know, all the things, but it was me. You know, I had a plan B the whole time. I had a plan B where I was going to go back to. Yeah. And that was holding me back. In the back of my mind, when I go a day without making money, I'm like, eh, you know, it's only gonna be a couple more months. I have this drug and alcohol gig on the side. I'm making good money from that. Um, I'll just be done with it. I'll give it a couple more months and see what happens. So you're not really even trying, or if you have maybe if you have adversity, you're there's no motivation to push you through it. Yeah. It was definitely uh a very half effort of yeah. what I should have been giving. Yeah. I mean, and even, you know, the bad, when people have a bad day, of course we know it's hard to push through, but on those days, because I, my mindset was like, whatever I didn't, you know, if I had a bad day and a DM told me, no, I was like, all right, see ya. I'm going to go home for the day. Yeah. Wow. So how'd that first three months go then? I mean, I, oh, I made I, no money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made negative dollars. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and looking back now, I'm like, why did I even go into that? Like, that was so stupid. Why would I try anything with that mindset? Um, so after those three months, I, I quit. I wrote a, well, I guess let me back, let me go backwards. So we were a brand new office. Right. So we didn't really have anybody there. It was kind of just like, you know, five of us sitting in a room trying to figure it Getting out. Started, you know, yeah. the agency owner knew what he was doing, but pretty much no one else. Um, so I ended up getting promoted during those three months. Okay. <laughs> it was kind of a fly by your seat of your pants promotion. Yeah, right. And you're here. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're here. You stayed more than a, a couple weeks, but yeah. you know, as a new office, you, you got to build when you where you can build. Right. So I ended up getting promoted during those three months and I was, I, I ended up deciding I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to continue. So I'm, I was actively applying for jobs, knowing that I'd go back to my other job, but knowing that that wasn't, you know, a great fit for me. So you still had a little bit of time left on your leave of absence from your previous work. <laughs> I had about 15 days, yeah. yeah. Um, so I end up, you know, t a text message and a letter. So I wrote a letter to my agency owner, and at the end of it, I put, do not call me. So you write a letter. This is a resignation letter? Yes. Like, I quit. Yeah, listen, it's I can't do it me, anymore. It's not me, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> or it's the company. I'm not making the money. I knew this wasn't legit from the beginning. Yeah. Like, don't call me. You know, this is, we're done. And you wrote that on the bottom? Yeah. And, and put it in text message and immediately block the agency owner. Do not call yeah. me. Yeah, so embarrassing. And did you actually block yes. the, the agency owner? I sure did. Kyle, all right. Yeah. Yes, I sure blocked I, You've Kyle. unblocked him now. Right? I have yeah. unblocked you, Kyle, <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> you can call. You can call. Yeah, but I, I, I really, in my mind that day, had no intentions of continuing because I just... I wasn't doing it. And I, I, I was blaming everybody else at the time. But of course, looking back, like it was me. Yeah. But I blamed every other reason why. So you write the letter, you set it on his desk. Obviously, you sent the text message because Kyle wasn't there to receive the letter, would, would be my assumption, right? Or he just was probably in field trying to get right, business. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, trying to uh, get it going. Yeah. And um, how did it feel initially when you did that? <laughs> Two things. I mean, I felt like I quit, which I did. Yeah. And I hadn't been a quitter my whole life. You know, I'd worked so hard for everything. So I felt dumb. You know, I felt silly. And at the same time, I was like, why did I even do this? Why did I even do it from the beginning? So, you know, I was like almost like you wasted your time and now it's yeah, just wasted two months. Why did I even do that? I should have just kept doing what I was doing. You know, yeah. I'd put myself in a financial hole for what, for me to just give up. Um, so then at that point, I don't know how this worked out, but Jeff, my director, I guess Kyle probably said, Hey, call her. Cause I can't, my calls right. aren't going through. So Jeff is, Jeff is a home office guy who's the director of the of the agency is kind of Kyle's partner from the home office perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't know if Kyle said, hey, call her because my calls aren't going through because he didn't block. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he calls me, asked me to come in. They sit me down and they are, you know, they're talking to me. And I so mean, how long, sorry, how long between when you 
resign. Oh, three hours. Like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah three so. hours. I mean, what'd it, you do in this? Like, did you like just go home and like, or you're like driving around or I don't even you know, remember. Go grab some lunch or something. I or? just remember being able to be back at the office within that three or, hour mark. Maybe sitting in the parking lot still. Like, so I couldn't have been far. Like, I was probably at Casa, yeah. the Mexican place yeah, the across crust, the street. Uh, I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having a margarita. Right. No, but, um, so they call me and they asked me, they said, just come in and talk to us. And I'm like, all right, like I'll let you know what I have going on to pass on my follow-ups, but right. you know, so they come in and they So that don't call me thing like you you came off that one pretty quick. Came but, off that one real quick. Yeah. 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 I think I felt a little guilty cuz like at the end of the day these people had treated me with nothing but respect and then I, you know, left on a bad a bad foot. So, yeah. felt a little guilty. So I come in and at this point going through their mind they're probably like, "We don't have anybody here." And she's like, "At least could be good. We should probably try to save her." Sure. Sure. So, you know, they talked to me and everything. Well, what's your mindset coming in? Like, why did you even come back? Three <laughs> hours ago, you said, screw you. I never want to see you again. And yeah. now you're going back to the office. Like, what are you thinking when you park your car and walk in and take the elevator up? I mean, what's what's going through your mind? I think the main reason I walked back in the door that day was because whenever I was recruited by my friend, it was actually another home office person who had an impact on it was Chris Murrow. Yeah. had lunch with me whenever she recruited me. And he's the one who said, like, listen, you can make a lot of money here. And, like, that can – in my two months that played through my head is, like, all right, this guy's telling me I can make money. I think he makes money, you know. Yeah. I, I, and I, I still am, like, am I giving up on something too soon? And kind of the whole thing of you didn't come that far to come, just come this far. Sure. Was still in the back of my mind. So as I'm sitting there talking with him and everything, they say to me, give it three months – but give up your plan B. Give up your plan B and give it three months. And then if after that, at least you can say you walked away from the opportunity having give it your all. And at that point, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about it and I call my husband and everything and he's like, no, quit. Be done with it. You know, <laughs> you're miserable. You're not making money. Just yeah. quit. Be done with it. And I'm like, listen, but I know I'm miserable because of my mindset too. So let me try with a positive mindset. You know, I'm going to stop being a victim to all so of these you circumstances. So you could identify your headspace was wrong at this point. Oh, absolutely. And I think in the back of my mind, the whole time I knew my headspace sucked. I mean, it wasn't, I was going home in the middle of the day. And so I was doing things that uh, weren't going yeah. to propel me forward. How ironic is it though? And I, I'm thinking as you're telling me the story where if you just go back to your, when you're trying to work with people with substance abuse and they're coming out of jail and you're trying to help them and they don't want the help and you see them on the side of the road and you're like, what do you want to pull your car over? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And here you are, you know, like, Hey, you can make a lot of money. You're like, whatever. And you go home in the middle of the day. Like you're almost like have switched roles in a way. Right. Isn't that, but you know what it is? It's the hourly mindset. Yeah. It's the hourly mindset knowing that if I chase these crazy people around that I was going to make $17 oh, an hour. True. Okay. Yeah. And I hadn't seen the money yet because, I mean, you know, my friend made that $3,000 or whatever, but I hadn't seen the money yet come from this that I'm like, is this real? Yeah. I didn't even know if it was real or not. And, you know, as a new office, not a lot of people were making money right. getting started up. Yeah. Um, so I didn't see it for myself. And this is a scratch deal, too. I mean, it was Kyle and one person when they Kyle opened and this one up. Person. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, that takes so much to be able to move to another state, another city, different processes and mm -hmm. just build it up. And so you're you're seeing that that beginning piece. And there. obviously Kyle had seen made great money before and yeah. seen a lot of people do great yeah. things. So I could see it through his his vision and his perspective, but I didn't see it there. So you know, I'm just blaming the market and the area and everything and everything else. Right. Right. So now so you you've so you agree I, I'm going to go into this your husband says no, you say no, I fixed my mindset. What's it like now? So I'm going to do it. Um, all right. I'm going to give it three months, my absolute all. And what I can tell you is those three months were the most transformative months in my entire life. I had at that point, I mean, not only made more money than I ever thought possible in that short period of time, mm -hmm. um, I had just changed my mindset completely. You know, I had such a victim mentality and I didn't know. I just didn't even know. You know, it was one of those things where it's like a domino effect of one thing goes wrong and you're like, and then my car breaks down and then this happens yeah. and that happens, you know, and you don't realize that you're causing those things. Um, so wow. you're was, the catalyst to some of those. I was challenges. the catalyst yeah. and I just, I, it was that, those three months that made me believe it. And I had just changed my mindset at that time, like, all right, I'm going to win. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to win. And it was almost like some of the other people in the agency started being successful at this point too. And I'm kind of watching them and I'm like, if they can do this, I can do this. Yeah. 
And that was it. You know, I, I would say like I, I really took off from there. That was those three months changed my life. That's crazy. So it's it's you, you started doing the things maybe you'd convinced yourself not to do before. And it took off. Right. So that's it. Just the system. I wasn't doing anything special. I quit yeah. my plan B, changed my mindset and followed the system. Well, And that's the thing, because it's like, like of a sudden when you came back, they're like, all right, now you've made it through the first 90 days. Here's the real script. Here's the <laughs> real market. You've shown that you can actually have access to the real thing. Nothing yeah. changed in the field. It's You're talking to the same people. You're selling the same product with the same process. Yep. It was you. It was me. It was you that changed. It was me. H- how important is it in life to not have that plan B in whatever you're doing? Oh, my gosh. I mean, if you're going to fail, fail hard. Yeah. Fail hard. Fall on your face. And I think that was the biggest thing is like I didn't want to fall flat on my face. And I think it was maybe the instability growing up that caused me not to want to fail mm. was like I just I didn't want to live that way. Even if no, I was not making a lot of money and, um, you know, I still was somewhat stable than I had yeah, been. Sure. Um, so I didn't want to fall on my face if I had failed. And I was so afraid of that failure that it was causing me not to take the full risk. Right. So that day, uh, I did call my old boss and I said, listen, you know, I'm not going to come back yeah. because I knew if I didn't do that, then I would still have the plan B. So I had to cut all ties literally and physically to make sure that I wouldn't do it. Right. Yeah. 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 And I went home, I told my husband, I said, listen, give me three months. And he wasn't supporting me financially or anything like that. I wouldn't let him. I was working that second job to make sure I I would be okay. I was still paying a hun- half the bills and everything. Um, but I told him, give me three months, support me. And whenever I come home at the end of the day, I need you to tell me, go back tomorrow. Right. I said, even if you don't believe it, just tell me for three months. And, and he, he said, buys into that. He said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. He said, can I tell you, told you so after those three months, if you fail? And I said, absolutely. Wow. So this is, I mean, this is like one of those burn the ships moments, right? You know, yeah. I'm here. There's no escape path. It's I'm going to make it or not. But one yep. of the two things is going to happen. So so you make it, right? And you start to see success and things have changed and your mindset has done so much for you at that point. So when does your career start to like, was there a point where, you know, because I'm sure at this point you're not thinking, well, I'm going to go be an agency owner. You're thinking like, no. I'm just going to like make it to Christmas or whatever, right? So when did that start to change for you? When did you start to really think like, maybe this can even be bigger than what I had thought initially? It took a while, honestly, because I mean, I had told you we we are a very tight knit family in terms of like where we live and everything. Yeah. So, you know, the option or opportunity to move, especially with what my dad was going through, yeah. wasn't so even in my mind. Personally, moving and being an agency owner is was challenge cha- yeah. a, a thought a challenge to me. Was that keeping you from even considering it from a business opportunity standpoint? Like were you not even thinking if you could do it or if you wanted to do it? Because personally it just seemed to be so far out of your comfort zone. I think both personally and on the business side and the business side, because I just feel like agency owners were these gods, you know, they felt so far from what I was. And, you know, I'm 22 years old at this point getting started. (laughs) So I'm like, you know, and I'm seeing Keith Mitchell, Angela Hanson, Jason Everett, Kyle even, I'm like, these are gods. Like, look at these, you know, they just didn't seem real to me. I didn't think it was even a possibility for someone who had absolutely zero experience, 22 years old to even be an agency owner. Right. So how did that start to change? I started seeing it. You know, I started seeing the process and being a scratch office, like we, it was hard. We had hard days, but we also had a lot of good days and a lot of days of growth and just seeing it from the start to finish and us be able to grow it, you know, with Kyle and me and Alex's partnership, just grow it from the beginning to, you know, what it, what it was. Um, I think the biggest thing that changed for me was the income side. You know, I made the most I had ever made in human service and counseling was $40,000 in a year. And, you know, that's, you struggle with that kind of income. You struggle. And my first- Especially in a large market, you know, Pittsburgh. I mean, it's high cost of living and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in my first full year with the company, even with those first three months of terribleness and- yeah, um, I made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow. It's really your first nine months. First <laughs> nine sec- months, the, yeah. The those three months, months are a little right, traumatic yeah, to talk yeah, about. Right. I'm embarrassed about those, but um, yes. Wow. So in the nine months, I made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and like that was life changing. I was gonna say, I mean, how did no that, one in my family, yeah. no one had made that kind of money. And the funny thing is, is I didn't tell any of my family that I was doing this. 
until I was six months into it. Wow. Um, there, you know, a lot of my family is in like, is in law for, you know, was in the FBI or works for human services county. So that's pretty much all they knew. And that's what success looked like for them. So I knew I, t- if I told them I was doing this, they would be highly discouraging. Mm-hmm. So I told my husband, I was like, I got to make some money first before I go to them and say, you know, here's what I'm doing now. So they see you making money, but they don't know why. I mean, you know, your family in the FBI maybe is getting suspicious at some point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? So they see me making this money. They're like, do you still work at the human services place? And I'm like, You've been, uh, you've been talking to people coming out of prison and all of a sudden you got yeah. a new car. You yeah. Know, what's the, they what's the side a little hustle? Suspicious. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so they told them at the six month point, then, you know, being able to make that kind of income, but then the, not only making that kind of income, but at that point I'd become a director in that year. And then I had a couple people that were coming up under me that then started making that kind of money too. And I'm like, dang, I can really do this. Like yeah. I not only made the money for myself, now I've helped these two other people make the kind of money for themselves. Like if I did it once, I could do it again. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of started rolling from there. And I, the money stopped fueling me so much. What the what kept fueling me was watching other people then change their lives. It wasn't about the money to me anymore at that point. You know, I had, you've gone through this transformation now, right? You, I it was yeah. real to me. Yeah. I saw it, and that was the problem at the beginning. Is I I didn't see it, but now I saw it. I felt the money. I saw it on my bank account. I mean, I was able to go through Starbucks without checking my bank account. You know how right. I never been able to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it was it was transformative, but it was the the thing that kept me going was then seeing that I could do it for other people. Yeah. And then on the personal side, you know, being able to help my dad and not having to worry, being able to um, buy my husband a new truck and right. do some of those things and not have to worry. I, I never thought my life would be that way. Sure. I've been used to moving from house to house with without knowing if we were going to be able to afford whatever the next school year was for school uniforms or whatever it was. Yeah. So when did you decide to, all right, agency owner, this is where I want to go. So I went back and forth on it for sure. And I think the reason why was kind of just because I couldn't see myself doing it. Um, I I maybe had some, you know, self-worth issues in terms of if I could was capable. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of felt like a little bit of an imposter, uh, even being, you know, a regional director, doing well, getting on SEAL team. Um, and I'm just there with these people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like these people are so amazing. And I just never considered myself at that level. And it, it honestly, until I fully saw myself being an agency owner, was the day you called me to be an agency owner. Really? Was I mean, you know, I, I, throw, I toyed you'd, with you'd it. Said, you, had, you had verbalized it, right? We had talked like, hey, I want to be an agency owner. But I think even speaking it to you, I was trying to convince myself. And I'm like, okay, yeah. maybe if he continues to try to convince me, I'll fully convince myself. Okay. And I knew I wanted to be I, – I knew I could – I knew I wanted to lead at that capacity. I just wasn't sure I was capable. Yeah. So you you mentioned you get a phone call from yes. me, actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you know, what what are you doing and what are you hearing on the phone and what do you think about that? So whenever I got the call, um, Alex, who's my regional director now, she and I were in Charleston, West Virginia, and we were field training five new agents. So we have a packed car. Yeah. We actually uh, like rented a car to have everyone in the car. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, Charleston, West Virginia is like in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I don't even know how your call went through. Um, <laughs> well, luckily, there's a, you're near a cell phone tower. I was near a point. cell phone yeah. tower. Yes. Yeah. Alex is in a business. With okay. one of the agents because she had walked in and it's pouring rain and I step out of the car to take your call because I'm like, oh my God, Mike Sheets is calling. Yeah. I got to get out of the car. <laughs> if I see Sally's name or your name, I walk out. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm answering this phone and I'm like, it's almost surreal to me that you, you know, had said, hey, I have a, an opening in Indiana. We need you. We need you there within, you know, X amount of time. And at first, whenever you said it, I thought I was com- I was comprehending that you were giving me that amount of time to think about it. But it was actually like I needed to be on a plane. You physically there in that I amount of time. I needed physically there. Yeah. And it took me a second to comprehend. And I'm like, you know, I'm like shaking right now. So yeah. I'm like, okay. I was, I, then I had to drive an hour and a half to drop off these agents. So you haven't said anything to anybody at this point. I can't speak. My, I'm white knuckling the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably wondering what happened, right? And yeah. I was like, and Alex is just staring at me like, what is wrong with her? <laughs> and she's, you know, I hear her doing like, she's doing pre-objections in the backseat right. with these people. Yeah. And um, we drive. You're like worried that maybe you got fired or something terrible <laughs> has happened. Who knows, right? Who knows? She didn't, yeah. yeah. So I'm white knuckling in the car. We get, do drop the agents off and everything. And I tell her and she said, oh my gosh, like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I, I don't know. 
And I call my husband and we have, we're on speakerphone. And I said, like, Bryce, like this, you know, they offered me this opportunity. Like, I, I don't know. And he said, when, when do we go? And I'm like, what? Wow. He said, when do we go? And I said, are you serious? You know, and at this time I have a one-year-old and yeah. it, I had literally just bought a house nine months before, like my dream house. Yeah. And we had never intended on moving out of the house. And I just had a one-year-old and I said, are you sure? And he had his dream job too, teaching in the district. He's always wanted to teach in. And I said, are you sure? Like you're willing to give that up and move and everything. He said, listen, like, I know that I doubted this in the beginning, but you know, I'm your absolute biggest supporter now. And I always joke, wow. he drinks the Liberty National Kool-Aid the most, Yeah. Um, yeah but he just great. loves his company and everything it's done for our family. But he was my biggest supporter in it. And that was my final push I needed. He said, let's go. And then, you know, I had Alex, my regional director, and then, a, a, you know, she's a supervisor at the time, Sydney. They both said, well, when are we going? Yeah. And I'm like, are you serious, guys? Like, we're going. <laughs> Yeah. So at that point, yeah. I mean, I there at that that was right then when I decided I 100% want to be an agency owner. And before that, I probably was at like a 90. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so you call me back. I right? called you back. I was with at million dinner. Questions. I, I was at dinner. I remember this. It was uh it was dark outside and I I went outside and and we talked for a while and and you decided this is this is it and you're going to go and so you know, it was it was a rebuild, right? It was a and it was a, a group that needed direction, yeah, and um, a culture that needed to be changed. So you stepped into that, and um, did you ever think, as you, White when we became an agency owner, like, hey, do you think maybe I can make a phone call and see if I can go back to Pittsburgh, or you know, what's oh, gosh, you know, what's yeah. this looking like? I know? think when I walked in that room that day and I felt the tension in the room, I was like, oh my gosh, did I make a mistake? You know, and they there was a group that was already set to go open their own right. office. Who's doing really well now too? Yeah, yeah, group, yeah. But they fantastic. were but they were like you know they were ready to go. They right. had their plans and everything. They were yeah. ready. And there was about thirty other people or so. And I'm like, you know, there's still a team here and everything. And then um, you know a week and a half later, there was three of us. And I'm like, what did I do? Yeah, you know. Um, and it wasn't even anything necessarily I did wrong. I but I I learned early on that I'm never going to sacrifice my culture for production. And I knew right away that if I was to continue working with the group that was there, I would be sacrificing my culture. Mm -hmm. um, just a lot of negativity and things. And of course, you know, this group that was set to go, they were already, they're ready to go. They had their culture set. They had a good right. culture. Right. Um, but. So you're thinking long term for I'm thinking long term. Yeah. And I'm telling them, you know, I, I literally said to them, I remember this agency being in, it was probably, I don't even know if I want to tell you this. I said, you know, this You're is telling everyone, by the way, oh, We've got a lot of people listening here. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much said, you know, here's what I believe in. And, you know, this is the, the standards that I'm going to abide by. And here's the ship. And you can either get on and we'll sail together or you can jump off. Yeah. And at that point, I saw everybody just kind of turn their heads and stare at each other and I mean, from there, it just, people started quitting. Um, and, you know, it was nothing crazy. I'm like, you know, we're going to operate legally with integrity and things, you know, <laughs> not, I'm being a dramatic about it. But, you know, I had a certain culture that I wanted in my agency and I wanted people that build each other up and not tear each other down. And I didn't want victims. I wanted victors. There were certain things that I wanted and some people just didn't want to stay on board with that. So I did have to rebuild the agency with the three people that stayed. And so how important is it to you to, set the parameters of th this is my culture. This is, this is what's going to define us. This is how we win. Yeah. You know, you're the head coach in the locker room. How important is that just establishing that way? I think the biggest thing about culture is it's all about expectations and intentionality. You know, people think culture is just going out to dinner, having a fun time together. And yeah, it is, but it, it still needs to be, your decisions need to be intentional and with your culture in mind always. Yeah. You know, any decision I make that's, you know, upper le level or with my leadership team, we are thinking about, okay, is this a decision that's going to support the culture of our office and building building others up? Is this supporting the leadership development that we want? Um, and if the answer is no, then we don't choose that. Yeah. So it's, it's just an intentional decision from not only me as the agency owner, but, you know, the supervising agent and the new agents coming in, setting that expectation early on. So if you're in business and you set your expectations of what your culture is and you hold people accountable to that, how do you, you know, that's, that's a challenging decision for people to make because maybe people leave like what you experienced. So how do you counter that? What's your, because you're very successful in your agency. So that maybe was a bump in the road, but you came out of it. How do you navigate through that? 
it was definitely trying with everyone that was leaving. And I was afraid it would do the opposite and be a detriment to the culture, just seeing people leave like crazy. But ultimately, I think people did respect that we had certain standards that we weren't going to fold on. Um, and and in, what does that do for the new people coming in too, as you're recruiting and growing your agency? You know, I've seen it evolve throughout time. I think at first we were scared to be kind of strict with that structure and those expectations in terms of our culture because we had lost so many people. But now looking at the way my directors lead from the top and my supervisors, you know, if they hear negativity or if they hear anything, they're the first ones to say, uh, not here. We're not yeah. going to do it. And it makes me so proud that we that's trickled down and evolved so much over time that we can have a culture where people are going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, the, the, you know, you have to be the guardian of your culture and then at what point do you feel the culture starts guarding itself? I really do. Oh, God, I'll knock on wood. I was going to say, I feel like we're there. You know, we the culture does guard itself with the people in the right positions, but it's all about the expectations that yeah. we've set. And that's day one in classroom training. Here's what it is. Yeah. How know? do you stay there, though? Right? Because you say you feel you're there now. How, what, how do you stay at that? Oh, it's intentional. It's a daily decision to make sure that we're guarding the culture. It's having the conversations with the essays. It's the essays having the conversations with their people. Yeah. You know, we hear negativity or someone's, you know, struggling financially or anyth anything. We need to address that head on. All right, you're struggling. How can we help you? Why are you struggling? Let's look at your dashboards. And it's being able to have, you know, the culture of immediate action. Let's you fix know, it. Fix Let's it. fix it. The fix yeah. it mentality. And just we're, we're not going to complain without a solution. We're just not. Um, and then, you know, we Say do, that again. You're not going to. We're not going to complain without a solution. Yeah, that's huge. We're just not, you know, and that's what through and through all the supervisors, everything, everyone knows that. So they trickle that down to their teams. Yeah. And here it is now, right? You know, you're, yeah. you're growing and you're moving and shaking and you're expanding. And, you know, uh, we, you know, you and I have a lot of conversations about your expansion plans and where you want to go. And I know you have huge visions for yourself that you will, you will absolutely achieve. So, yeah, um, thank Natalie, thank you so much for sharing your story and hearing where you came from and, you know, all those formative moments in your, in your life leading to this point. So it's, uh, it's great to hear it. Yeah. It's thank you for having it. me. So we, we have a tradition that we've started on the level up podcast. I don't know if you're aware of this, but, um, by being a, a guest, we want to give everyone a gift and the gift is a bobblehead of yourself. Right? Oh my God. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Great. It, it's, it's fun because, you know, some people are listening, but then there's people that are watching this too. So they'll be able to see it. And it's on social. If you want to uh, check out the, you know, the, the globe life, uh, Liberty national division pages and, you know, hashtag globe life lifestyle. And you'll, you'll see all these bobbleheads on there, which is pretty cool. And the idea is as this continues to go, you know, we'll have a, a table over here with all the featured guests <laughs> and their bobbleheads, but I want to present you with your, official level up bobblehead here. This is, <laughs> this is you proudly display that. Oh my agency, goodness. Right. That's so funny. Uh, so, uh, so exciting. So, um, you know, we just kind of close if you can, this is yourself now, if your bobblehead today could talk to you when you were just getting started, what would you say to yourself? Oh my gosh. Throw out your plan B and stop being a victim of circumstance. Yeah. It, if you have that mindset, you can overcome anything. Yeah, that's that's great. It's so true. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out to be with us today. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing your story. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We hope this episode has inspired you on your path to success. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next story. See you soon on the Level Up Lifestyle Podcast.